If you have a Bible with you this morning, I pray that you do. I uh, would invite you to turn to the Gospel reading, Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, is where I will be anchoring in this morning. John 1, verses 1 through 5. Did you know that the average human being spends one-fifth of his or her life talking? A fifth of a person's total life can fill a 50-page book every single day. Now, some do more, (laughs) and some do less, and I'm not going to get into who's who, but suffice it to say that in the end of an average lifetime, you could fill 3,000 volumes or 1,500,000 pages of words that you use. And we know that from Scripture, the book of James specifically, that words wield much power. Words can bring life. They can encourage. They can be winsome. They can douse fires. They can extol a bride or a groom, relationships, a friendship. But words can also destroy. They can wound They can send deep wounds to hearts. They can, according to James, they can kill. The tongue is wielding that kind of power with words. Words. I think the question this morning may be, what is the most important word ever? If you were asked that question, what would you say? What's the most vital words? What are the most important things that you can speak and say to a human being? Well, some have suggested that I love you is the most important words that you can say. And I I believe that to be very sweet. It's very sentimental. Uh, There's something to that. Um, Marriages need that to be said from time to time and friendships and they're wonderful words to hear. But if you were to look to those that are experts, that are linguistics, they would say that it goes like this. You ready? The six most important words in the world are, I admit I made a mistake. The five most important words are, you did a good job. And some of you are like, you did a, okay, five. Four most important words are, what is your opinion? Three most important words, if you please. Two most important words, thank you. And the most important word, according to experts, is you. You. This morning, I want to talk to you about the world's most important word. And just to break the ice, it's not you. (laughs) All right? Sorry to just crash the party. But it's not you. John's thesis, his premise, these introductory verses of his gospel could be said is the world's most important word. And that word is Jesus. It's Jesus. I want you to imagine for a moment that really the four Gospels are great pieces of classical music. We might say that the Gospel of Matthew and Luke uh, have the music of a lullaby. I mean, they're filled with the recount of the nativity, the incarnation, the infancy of Christ. Mark's gospel, on the other hand, is kind of a heralding trumpet. It's uh, John the Baptist, right, eating locusts and honey, 
I mean, he's this beast of a guy. He is preaching the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. Repent and believe. John's gospel, however, the fourth gospel, begins with neither a lullaby nor the stride of trumpet blasts of a herald. It begins rather with a perplexed sentence that really to John is a soaring choral anthem. Notice, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I mean, you read that in your Bible, and you're like, that, that's, uh, that's vague, it's obscure, it's almost abstruse, but if you keep reading a little further, the identity becomes clear. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. And even in verse 2, the word is given a personal pronoun. He was in the beginning with God. So if you follow John's logic, all of his thinking through at least the first few verses of his gospel, at least down to verse 17 where Jesus Christ is mentioned, we get the idea that he's speaking about Jesus Christ. And he calls him the word. Jesus is the world's most important Word. John is writing this way because I think he wants to heighten the call of his readers to strike holy all. He wants to leave you stunned. He wants to leave you reverent before the mystery of the God-man. Otherwise, as the world, you can see, might be tempted to dismiss his birth as irrelevant. Right? What can be more run-of-the-mill? There's nothing weaker, nothing more mundane than the birth of yet just another baby, peasant child born in impoverished circumstances a millennia ago. I mean, what in the world does that have to do with me living in the midst of a pandemic in 2020? Right? Irrelevant. Or perhaps we might assimilate the story of the coming of Christ into this larger narrative marked by Christmas sentimentality. You know, a story about a baby in a manger that go along with the tinsel and the fairy lights. But as we stare together in the rude cattle trough where the Christ child was laid, John is telling us here in his prologue that we have, in fact, come to the edge of the abyss. To the brink of inevitable glory. This mystery, this majesty made flesh that theologians have written thousands and thousands of pages about. Jesus is the Word. And notice John expounds his teaching under three pretenses that Jesus is the Word. First, verses 1 and 2, he tells us that Jesus is the divine Word. And then secondly, Jesus is the creative Word. And verse 3, verses 4 and 5 tells us that Jesus is the illuminating word. So there you have it. Three things. Divine word, creative word, illuminating word. You ready? Here we go. All three. Very quickly. Notice verse 1. It says, and the word was with God. And then it says, and the word was God. It's very interesting that word that says with God. It literally means face to face. Pros ton theon in the Greek, meaning 
intimacy with the Father. That's Jesus. They're both together, intimately intertwined, loving one another. They, they, they don't need human beings. They have each other. They're face-to-face in this relationship. And it speaks a, of a continuing intimacy with, right? The word was with God. So you have to understand something. Grammatically, John is trying to articulate as best as he can this fact that Jesus is separate from the Father. And so he says the word was with God. But then he says the word was God. He's communicating that Jesus is is God. He's divine. God in flesh is the mystery that we behold at Christmas. Jesus is the divine word. Notice verse 3. He's also the creative word. In the beginning was the word. Things were made. How many things? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that has been made. It's an illusion, right? What's the illusion? So John is presuming that you are a good Old Testament, knowledgeable person who reads their Old Testament. Because the illusion that he's getting at is what? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God. And he created the heavens and the earth. An illusion, but... This is the great thing about John is because he's filling in the story. He's helping us here. He's filling in the details. Here is the one by whom God spoke all things into being. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is speaking things into existence. One author put it this way, quote, This means... That the creative force, the source of every other form of energy, is not impersonal. It's not blind, capricious, but it is Christ-like. The creation expresses Him, and in itself contains no un-Christ-likeness at all. In that confidence, we harness its resources, assuring us that all of them benefit us, end quote. Creation has fallen, isn't it? Genesis 3, but matter and the created world is not to be despised. but Rather, it is to be studied as a window into the beauty and majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which is why I I come from a place where there are four seasons. (laughs) I love winter. I pray that it snows seven inches again in the Carolinas. God answered my prayer three years ago. I just want you to know I've been praying and fasting that he'll do it again this year. I've told you, there is nothing more peaceful in the world than standing in the midst of a snowstorm. There's like no sound. It's just calm. The world just dissipates. It's beautiful. We see Jesus in all this. Jesus is the divine word. He's the creative word. Lastly, and in closing, he's the illuminating word. Verses 4 and 5, in him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. This light of Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, what? Overcome it. You need to know every Christmas that Jesus was born to bring life and light. Jesus says time and time again that he's the giver of life. He is the author of life. He holds the keys to life and death. God has given me four precious lives that I love. If you want to make a grown man cry, just go to the birth of his son or daughter. (laughs) There's nothing more moving than to hear your son or daughter cry for the first time. He's the giver of life. And just as John links life with Christ, so he links light with Christ. Just as the first creation began with let there be light, so the new creation begins with the entrance of light into the heart of every believer. The coming of Christ into the world was the dawning of a new day for sinful man. And so you may ask, what does this all have to do with me living in 2020? What's the significance of this this text bearing out in my life? It's this. You and I both know that there are many voices today filling the void with many words. But this morning it's different. Because I'm bringing you good news this morning. I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy. And it's this, that there is one word that brings hope, and it's Jesus. It's Christ. These five verses from John is not about a message that offers hope, but about the message that is the only hope. So it's not about an idea, it's about a person. The word became flesh, tells us that God is intent on communicating with us, not about mere concepts, not about just mere empty words, right? I want the truth, (laughs) and I can handle the truth. I want it. I want Jesus. I don't want just words. He's communicating himself. The message lived in a world touched and heard by many. Jesus is not one savior among the world's many saviors, nor is he one good man among many men. Jesus is God in flesh. There's only one hope, and it is God in Christ. Transformation and hope cannot be the fruit of some human endeavor Only God can take the initiative of men and women, of youth, of children, that they must see, they must receive, they must believe in the work that he desires to do. And when they do, they're reborn to become God's children. So this morning I say to you, if you haven't yet, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus is the only way. He's the truth. He's the life. And if you've done that, 
Let us take this message this Christmas and bring it to a world that the Bible says loves darkness rather than light. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.